This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Hi, this is Adam Norgett, Chair of the CBA National Young Lawyers Section, inviting you to the inaugural CBA National Young Lawyers Conference, June 4th to 5th, 2020, in Toronto. The theme of the conference is Legal Innovation, a Vision for the Future of the Profession, and will kick off with the annual OBA Young Lawyers Gala at Gardner Museum. This will be followed by a full day of programming on June 5th at the OBA Conference Centre, featuring dynamic speakers including several young lawyer entrepreneurs, others on the leading edge of innovation in the legal tech industry, and will address topics such as access to justice and wellness, a topic which is too often overlooked in our profession. Finally, I am very excited to announce that our keynote speaker will be Supreme Court of Canada Chief Justice Richard Wagner. I would encourage you to join us and your fellow young lawyers from across Canada in June to meaningfully discuss the future of our profession. Registration for the conference is now live at cba.org. We hope to see you there. Hello, welcome to Conversations with the Present. I'm your host, Vivine Salmon. Less than 70 years ago, people wanting to enter the common law legal profession in Canada were still doing as their ancestors in the UK had done. They took some courses, but mostly they learned to do by doing through years of apprenticeship to senior lawyers. It wasn't until the middle of the last century that legal education in Canada changed. Prospective lawyers now required a law degree, and the period of articles became much shorter. Law schools have long been criticized for not teaching practical skills. Today, we'll talk to two law school deans about who should be providing on-the-job training. Ian Holloway has been dean at University of Calgary Law for more than a decade. He's also a former member of the CBA Legal Futures Initiative Task Force, where he acted as legal education and training team leader. Nine of the 22 recommendations made in the Futures Report dealt with the way lawyers are educated and what parts of legal education have to change to meet the profession's future needs. Welcome to the podcast, Dean Holloway. Thanks, Sabine. I'm happy to be here. So you were called to the bar in 1986 in Nova Scotia. And before you began your academic career working for a time with McKinnis Cooper in Halifax, a firm that I've come to know very well, did law school prepare you to work as a lawyer? Uh, Not at all. We had very little preparation for um, the profession that we were uh, about to join. And it seems quite bizarre when I put it that way, but but it's true. Um, I had a lot of fun in law school. Uh, I made some friends uh, who remain uh, among my closest friends. But uh, I can say that I don't think that I could have been worse prepared for becoming a lawyer than I was. Hmm. That's an explosive statement. <laughs> what was, so what was one thing you found yourself then wishing you'd learned in law school or that would have prepared you better? Well, that's a that's a great it's a great question. But what I would say is, um, I wish that I'd been given some sense of the the dynamics of the legal profession. Now, I, I should say too, Vivine, that in a way the world was a different place. You know, I had the good fortune to article and then practice at a firm like McInnes Cooper, and um, 
and it was a firm which was I mean, we worked hard and uh, and and it was a tough place in a way, but it was also very nurturing in, in another way. And so, you know, they kind of took me and and my peers by the hand and 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 made sure that we learned over time everything we needed to know. Um, uh, and, and I thank McInnes Cooper uh, every day uh, for for that. Um, but to go back to your question, what I didn't get in law school was there, was there was any sense, any real sense of the dynamics uh, of the legal profession or the or the legal system. So, what do you feel then for a lot of younger people in terms of the dynamics and the statement that you made that you felt that while it was tough, you felt that you were also led by the hand. Because I feel for a lot of young people now, I don't feel like they're led by the hand or any hand at all. I feel sometimes they're just thrown to the wind. Yeah, no, I, that, that's my sense as well. You know, they, uh, and partly it's because the the business model of legal practice, at least of private legal practice, has has changed. You know, the kinds of things that they did to accommodate us uh, when uh, when we were young lawyers, I'm just not sure that the business model. Uh, easily accommodates that. I, I'm, I remember, for example, the first time I appeared in the Court of Appeal back in Nova Scotia on my own, one of the senior partners just came along and sat in the back just to watch, and then and then spent an hour or two with me afterwards to to give me to give me feedback. And of course, I wasn't thinking in these terms uh, at that time. But that guy gave up a whole went a whole day of of billings mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. just to watch some. Some some young guy um, cut his teeth. That probably in most firms anyway. I can't speak for every firm, but in most firms that just couldn't happen today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I I was very lucky that I that I came up when I did. So switching gears a little bit, University of Calgary Law calls itself Canada's most innovative law school. Yep. So under your leadership, the school has implemented what has been called the Calgary curriculum. Can you explain yep. what that is? Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, we the, the Calgary curriculum came about because of a pair of epiphany moments for us. Um, the, the first epiphany was one that that you know well because because you live it every day, and that is that our professional world is turning faster and faster. You know, clients today, um, you know, their mantra is better, cheaper, faster, better, cheaper, faster. Uh, and and that is placing tremendous strain upon the the conventional way that we did business as as lawyers. Epiphany moment number two was that we now know a lot more about how adults learn and how adults retain things than they knew in the uh, in the latter part of the nineteenth century when the conventional model of legal education was developed. And we put those two things together, and it led us to. Uh, to implement, to, to develop, and then implement what we call the Calgary curriculum. And the Calgary curriculum can be summed up uh, uh, in, in one line, I think, and that is to say that we view our mission as being to prepare students for the profession they're joining, not the one I joined. The profession they're joining, not the one I joined. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we, we've had a combination of structural changes, um, to what we do and how we do it. So there's, we, we no longer have 100% examinations. We use, um, as they call it in the educational lingo, formative assessment in all our courses. We still have exams, to be sure, but we use formative assessment in all our courses. There's a lot more intensity in teaching uh, than, than there used to be. 
and then also the kinds of things that the courses that we offer are different than than the norm. And we still teach jurisprudence and things like that, but we also teach things like legal project management, and we teach leadership for lawyers, we teach business skills for lawyers, we teach uh, marketing and client development for lawyers, we teach crisis communications for lawyers, and a whole a whole list of courses like that, which go to this mission, as I described earlier, of being trying to prepare students for, for the profession they're joining, not the one that, uh, that I joined. So continuing on to that question, when Barson's Law School opens, I know you're familiar with that next year, yep. students will learn coding, among other mm-hmm. practical tools, such as you've talked about in terms of crisis communication, etc. Is law yep. school really the place for that? Well, that's a good question. The honest answer is, is I don't know. I mean, if you're talking about coding, I I don't know. I I don't know how to code myself, so I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. But but let me do what what lawyers do and try to answer a different question. I think that when we, by which I mean law schools, talk about inculcating tech skills in our students, I think that what we instead should be saying, I mean, yes, it'd be a great thing. Some of our students will, uh, we know. earn their living by um, being software developers. Uh, and so coding is a good thing for them to know. But that that's a relatively small number. But I think what all of our students are going to have to be able to do if they're going to be, if they're going to flourish in the 21st century is to be able to um, engage in what they call design thinking. And that incorporates uh, a, a sense of, of tech awareness or tech savviness. But the, but the real mission, I think, is to inculcate design thinking skills so that when a client comes to you, you don't uh, provide information to her or him in, in discrete, substantive, silo terms. Rather, you, you think about their, your, their problem. You help them reframe their own issue um, in design terms, and you work with them to design uh, the best possible outcome in the circumstances. So design thinking, that I think is more important than than coding per se. So one of the other things I was thinking about as you were talking, I did an exchange to Sweden when I was a young lawyer and under the Swedish model, 50% of our course mark was group work and 50% was individual. And I remember coming back and mentioning that to some lawyers in Canada, who were absolutely appalled, who felt that they wanted to be marked as an individual. So how do you feel about having more group-based? Vivian, I think that that we should. I think it's a travesty uh, that the Canadian model of legal education, the North American model of legal education doesn't do that. It's crazy when you think about it. We treat all our students as, as if they're sole practitioners. Uh, when in fact very few of them w- will be, and and the reality is that even sole practitioners um, have to work in teams. You know they work, you know with you know a- a- accountants or social workers or or you know other other sorts of other sorts of professionals, and so the um, ability to um, to learn how to work constructively in a team, the ability to learn how to deal with difficult members of a team, those are all critical skills. Uh, for for today's and, and 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 tomorrow's lawyers, and that's one of the things we're trying to do here at Calgary. Um, it's um, a, a number of our courses are assessed 
in, in what you described as the Swedish model with a significant uh, chunk of the grade being based upon, uh, on group work. I feel we've had a really interesting conversation. I found it very, very interesting when you were talking about technology and innovation, and that's something that we're hoping to have a National Young Lawyers Conference here in Toronto in the spring that will focus on just those topics. Before I let you go, I'm just wondering if there's anything more that you'd like to add with respect to our conversation this afternoon. Well, uh, there, there is one other thing, and, and I think it's 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 a question that I think the, the Canadian Legal Academy needs to ask itself, and that is, are we admitting the right people to law school? Of course, uh, lawyers need to be smart. You know, they need lots of high-functioning gray matter upstairs. But they need other things, too. You know, they need emotional intelligence. They need a team ethos, as we were talking about. They need you know, resilience. Uh, they need the ability to delay gratification. Um, and so the question is, when we do admissions in law school, are we probing for those kinds of skills or those kinds of attributes um, as well as we could or as well as we should? We're trying to do that at Calgary, um, but I have no doubt that we could do better. And, uh, and, and, and I bet the answer, the honest answer at most Canadian law schools would be that, that, that they could do better, too. I think you're probably right, because that was probably one of my very last questions, was to ask you, do law schools really need to think the way they're recruiting young people and also people that have had careers before that want to become lawyers and stop placing so much emphasis on marks as a skill set to what makes a good lawyer, what will make a good lawyer in the future? I think you're right. You know, the as you as you know well, Vivian, the our profession tops the charts in all sorts of unhealthy ways, you know, uh, you know, depression, substance abuse, you know, marriage breakdown, and so on. And I sometimes think to myself, well, is it any wonder why we, we admit people who are type A, super smart, but otherwise quite unsuited uh, for the rigors of the, of, of, of the, of the legal profession? Uh, so maybe we need to sort of um, pay more attention to what what kinds of attributes the profession demands, and then, you know, given that we're the gateway to the profession, um, more consciously screen for that. There are a couple of challenges, though. One is that, you know, we have tools with which to measure gray matter, the, the LSAT and GPA. We don't have the same kinds of reliable tools. You know, the LSAT's not perfect, but, it, but it's a reliable measure of logical reasoning ability. We don't have the same kinds of reliable tools to measure uh, emotional intelligence and team ethos and resilience and all, all those sorts of things. So that's one challenge. The second challenge, though, um, I think sits on the profession. Um, you said, and I agree with you, that we shouldn't admit solely on the basis of grades. But equally, I would say that the profession, when it hires, needs to rely less upon using grades as uh, as the, the entryway. I resoundingly agree with you, and I'd be interested to hear what some of our firms, especially our partner firms, have to say about that. So with that, I will say goodbye to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts and ideas this afternoon and ways that we can improve the legal profession for all. Well, let me, let me thank you. I've really enjoyed this a great deal, and, uh, and I hope we chat again soon. 
Ian Holloway is the Dean of University of Calgary's Law School, which like other established law schools in Canada, is starting to think outside the box of black letter law to consider the skills that new lawyers will need to be successful in tomorrow's legal profession. Camille Cameron gets around. Born in Cape Breton, she earned legal degrees at UNB and Cambridge University. She started her legal career in Halifax, but since then has worked as a legal consultant and advisor in a number of countries, including Cambodia and China. She brings an international perspective to legal education. Her academic postings have included the City University of Hong Kong and the University of Melbourne in Australia. Before coming to the Schulich School of Law, she was law dean at the University of Windsor. Dean Cameron says legal educators have to prepare students for the future, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast, Dean Cameron. Uh, Thanks, Vivian. It's a pleasure to be here. You've had a varied and very interesting career, from being a civil litigator in Halifax to training lay criminal defenders and judges in Cambodia. How much of that did law school prepare you for? Well, Vivian, I'm sure I came to law school already with a sense of adventure, but I also think that the kind of inquiry that law school encourages you to engage in made me curious about the law and it made me curious about different kinds of legal systems and it made me curious about the different ways in which the law can be used um, as a tool for for good so i'd say it's a combination of what i got from law school and a naturally uh, curious and adventurous uh, disposition And do you think young people now have that same sense of adventure when they start their legal careers? Look, I think it varies. There's just so much, you know, for us, we take in 170 students a year. And in any group of 170 people, you're going to find a wide variety of personalities, goals, inclinations. And so in that group, you would have, um, I don't know what the percentage would be or even how you'd measure it, it, but there would certainly be a percentage of students who who have that kind of curiosity and sense of inquiry. And if you look at what students end up doing after they graduate and then five, six, seven, ten years, you can see how they are spread out in so many different ways. And uh, that speaks to the versatility of uh, the legal education they have. But it also speaks, again, to their own personalities, right, which they bring to the study of law and to the practice of law. And in your article about your appointment in 2015, you said the aim of the University of Windsor's Faculty of Law was to help students learn how to learn and that inquiry, problem-solving, and challenging conventional wisdom should be at the heart of the law school learning experience. But do you really think that is enough in this day and age, given the cost of legal education and competition for employment? Oh, I think it's a lot. Um, I mean, there's so many um, different uh, things that um, law students have to learn. But I think at the heart of it uh, is that. At the heart of it is uh, being a critical and inquiring researcher, uh, writer, 
and commentator. I do think that that critical inquiry is at the heart of it. And if I go back again, you started by asking me about my own path, but I can look at myself and my contemporaries, uh, people with whom I studied law, and really that critical inquiring mind is, um, is, is at the heart of it, regardless of what else you might include, regardless of how curriculums or curricula change, that critical thinking uh, is at the heart of it. Yes, I do believe that. So what do you then think about the new approach we're seeing in relatively new law schools like Lakehead, Thompson Rivers, and Ryerson, which opens this fall, all of which are touting a more practically driven approach to legal education? I think it's important to look at what Canadian law schools are doing. And when uh, the Ryerson um, project was being discussed a few years ago, Canadian law deans um, made a comment to the extent, uh, to the effect that um, it's really important to look at what existing law schools are doing already before suggesting that a new law school is going to be different. And if you look at the kinds of practical, clinical, experiential learning that students are now getting <clears throat> in Canadian law schools, uh, it, it's stunning, actually. And what a difference from when I was a student. I think I got an excellent education, but when I see what's available to students now in terms of clinical and experiential learning, uh, placement opportunities with courts, NGOs, and other organizations, the real practical hands-on opportunities to uh, learn what the law is and what it can do, um, it's remarkable. And if you look at uh, law schools across the country, uh, maybe you've done that already, but you'd be, you know, some people are surprised at, at the breadth and the richness of what they're offering students, quite different from when I was a law student. But now, mind you, that was almost 40 years ago. Um, so I think it's, I think one has to be careful about looking at uh, a new law school and saying, oh, well, you know, that's very different from what's happening already. Uh, because much of what um, Ryerson, for example, will be offering, and I'm sure they're going to do a great job, uh, is already on offer in other law schools across the country. So we're almost at the end of our time, and I think I'd like to ask you about your international career. What opportunities do you think young people have now to pursue international opportunities, whether through their legal education or through employment? So I think there are many. I think one of the beauties of a law degree is that it is extremely versatile. If you look at, again, I mentioned this, but if you look at what uh, graduates of various Canadian, Canadian law schools are doing four, five, six, ten years after they leave law school, many of them are doing something quite different from how they started. They might start in a law firm. They might stay there for a few years. Some might stay on through to retirement, but others are moving in-house. They're doing all kinds of other things. And what I will say as well is that um, many uh, law schools are giving them the opportunity while they're students to gain some of that experience and to give them a taste for the different kinds of career paths that are open to them. If you look at co-op programs, internships, placements, um, I would say every law school in the country has these. Um, so these are the opportunities now. You mentioned the cost of legal education, and I think that's a significant factor. Um, and it might be that um, some students' choices are limited, at least in the short term, by the desire to get their debt paid off sooner rather than later. Um, but of course, that's one of the reasons why law schools spend so much time fundraising for scholarships and bursaries. 
And is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up this afternoon? Um, I guess what I'd like to say is that, you know, there's been a, I have had an interesting career, but looked at it more broadly, there's been so much change in uh, law school curricula since I was a student. As I say, I mean, I think I and my contemporaries got a great education, but um, the opportunities uh, law school, uh, law students are getting now to um, experience law in, in, in the world uh, are really quite something. And I'm envious. <laughs> if I were a student now, I'd certainly be taking advantage of some of them. So would I. Thank you, Dean Cameron. All right. It's a pleasure. Cape Breton native Camille Cameron is the 16th Dean at Dalhousie University's Schulich School of Law in Halifax. We want to hear your stories about the changes you've seen in the legal profession or think the profession needs to make. Where do you see generational conflict and how do you suggest we overcome it? Let us know on Twitter at CBA underscore news, on Facebook and on Instagram at at Canadian Bar Association. You can hear this podcast and others on our CBA channel, The Every Lawyer, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes and to hear us in French, listen to our Juris Branche podcast. Thank you.